Hey, good to see all of you today. And uh, man, our worship team, um, I, I came in when they were practicing. I thought, I, I thought it was like Hillsong or something, but uh, it was even better. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a hand. Uh, man, that's so awesome. And some of you guys, man, I thought you were just, it was just the looks, but now you know how to play instruments. I'm so impressed, you know, like Tim and, and everyone. Anyway, so um, just uh, thank you guys so much. It, it's nice to see everyone just and all their gifts. Um, you know, as we gather here on this very special Sunday, um, I just wanted to share briefly just about our church a little bit. Um, just give me a couple minutes to do that. You know, we started our church, it's been a little over nine years, and then we started Irvine four years ago. And um, the kind of the whole foundation of our church is really to be um, going out to all people. You know, to be a place where all people could come and be transformed and grow, but also to be here to be outward focused to go out to the world. And, um, uh, you know, I want to, if you've been coming and, you know, to church, and, you know, I, I want you to be, understand a part of, of the heartbeat of Crossway and why we do what we do. You know, all, most of the announcements, it's always like, you know, we're going to go serve here and we're going to go give here. And um, there isn't much of just, us, you know, let's have a good time by ourselves. Nothing wrong with that, but really it is for us to, that I personally believe uh, your discipleship, our discipleship is seen in our actions. And so studying the word is great, but we really, another part of that is now to take it into the world. And so, um, you know, we started Irvine with the same idea. We want to go reach friends and um, uh, to reach Orange County for Jesus Christ and to reach our friends and those around us. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's kind of the whole thing of what we're doing and why we pray for the nations and why we support these groups every year um, or every month, rather, uh, that's mentioned in the bulletin, these global partners that we have. And so that's really the heartbeat of the church. You know, it's, it's more than just fun for the kids and more than just finding good friends and getting along. Um, some of us grew up in church and it's been way too fun. It's been way too easy, you know, and if you've been churched, you know how it sometimes have been, you know, everything is free. They buy you food, they buy you this, and it's fun, and it's good, and it's for me, and we start to cater to that, and really, um, I think it does a disservice to our growth, that we want to grow and be challenged and stretched, that you would work so hard that you would go and do that so you could further the gospel, that uh, you would go and, you know, your kids would study so hard so that they could become not just successful, but they would be used powerfully by God. And so that's kind of the picture of our church. And, you know, we're just starting. And I feel like I can't wait till what's the next thing we're going to do and who are we going to go out to and um, who are we going to invite and who are we going to go help and who are we going to go partner. And this Christmas we're going to be um, doing our Be Generous. And, and if you were here last year, uh, we sent hundreds of people out to do good projects all over Orange County, and we're, we're going to be working on that, and Easter is going to come, and we're going to do Love OC. And so it'll be a year-round thing, really, not just the once a year. And so um, we want that to be the DNA of our church. You know, and some churches are, um, they have this interesting relationship with culture. Some churches are against the culture. Like the world is bad, secular music's bad, Halloween is bad, everything is bad, it's all bad. Like don't, you know, don't go into the world, it's all bad, right? And, and then some are just led by the culture. 
Oh, they're going to sing that song? Hey, we're going to sing the same song. We'll just copy them. Oh, they watch movies? Well, we'll show movies and try to find something spiritual in the movie, not in the Word. And so we don't want to be either way. And some churches are above the culture. You show up, a non-Christian shows up, says, I don't understand a word these people are talking about. You know, you know pray a hedge of protection. Over, you know, like these words that we don't really use. But what we want to be is for the culture. We want to go and engage the culture. We want you to engage your coworkers, the, the people at your kids' schools and the people at your work, your, your friends and neighbors, and to be real, be normal from their perspective, but to say, boy, there's a difference, though. There's an inner joy. We are for the culture around us. And so rarely do you hear us condemning, oh, this is bad, and you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that. Um, you know, but really what's important is that we are for the culture. We are for the people around, that we care for them. Um, we care so much that God wouldn't leave them alone. So that is the gospel. So I want to share that with you. Um, today, Pastor John mentioned that we have our membership class. I think we have 12 or 14 people already signed up. Some of you are going to come. And uh, we're going to try to make it as, you know, I don't like long classes. I never did. And I'm sure a lot of you, a lot of you won't. So we're going to try to get through it. Talk about some of the fundamentals, have lunch and pray and sign you up. And uh, we just look forward to growing. And some of you are like, I'm not sure. You know, the one thing that you're going to be able to do, and those of you who are doing the Solomon class, right? We were talking about the, the, the highlight of Solomon's life was he was building up the temple of God. That was the highlight. The women, the silver, the gold, the trees, the, the all, everything else was way Second, I mean, it was way down low on his priority. It was about building up the temple of God. Building up, in our day, maybe we could say building up the church of God. And so uh, don't let that pass you by. This isn't just, uh, um, you know, oh, join this church. And join, no, but really, don't let that part of your life pass you by. Maybe you had a harsh experience, a rough experience somewhere else, or whatever it is. Don't let that hold you back from loving God, right? And so we want you to be a part of the church. Um, it's definitely not a perfect church. There's flaws in this and that. And are there better places? Possibly. Um, not in this part of the country, but really, that might be. I heard there might be some, but, um, but anyway, so we'll, we want to encourage you with that, all right? Um, today, we come to this section in Matthew 7, and we're telling stories. We all love stories. Little children love stories. The same stories they want to hear. You know, I remember my, my kids, they were all into good night moon. It made no sense, but I read it to them every day because supposedly it was good for them, right? And so I read good night moon, good night moon. I was like, this makes no sense. And, uh, read, you know, they would point to it and it was a good night ritual. And, you know, we love stories. Whether we're little or whether we grow older, we love a good story. And we love sometimes hearing the same story told over and over because it is so good. Um, and we know people that could tell the story so well. We're like, can you please tell that story about so-and-so and that one time when this happened? And we love hearing it. And then we know some people that just butcher the stories. We're like, please, 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 don't interrupt the story. Like, don't ruin it. Let this guy tell the story. It's so good, you know. And um, we love stories. And we're going to spend the rest of this year looking at the parables or the stories that Jesus told. And it's so good that he wasn't just a boring point-by-point-by-point -by -point -by -point teacher but he was really telling stories. People remember stories, right? And he tells a story. And today he tells a simple story. Two people go out. They build two houses. The houses look the same. But then a little bit of wind comes. And then the floods and the rains come. And then one house collapses the other house. 
is fine. One house is built on this rock and it's not going to be moved. The other house, the fool built the house on sand. How can you build a house on sand? You have to be a fool. Why would you do that? And so everyone that's listening is saying, obviously he's a fool. Obviously that makes no sense. And he says, that is like your life. How are you going to live? And he challenges him. He says, either it's going to sustain the hardships or it's going to fall apart. How are you going to live? How are you going to live when a little bit of reality hits you, when the storms come? Because the storms come to all of us. Some of us, it's the rain and the storms are pounding on you right now. And how are you going to now weather the storm? And he says, there's only one way. You have to have a house that's built on the rock, not on sand. It could look like it's rock, but man, if little water and you just rub it and it falls apart, it's sand, it's going to fall apart. How are you going to withstand that? You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, this is ongoing in San Francisco. There is a, a high-rise building, a deluxe condominium home that's called the Millennium Building. Um, it's one of the tallest buildings. They were selling some of the units starting at a million-something to tens of millions of dollars. And a lot of the 49ers are living there and so on and so forth. And they just had opened up. They're having a problem with this in San Francisco. And I was re reading about this in the paper. The building is sinking and the building, they say most big buildings will sink about five inches over a decade or so, and it's normal. This building has, is sinking, and now it's sunk 18 inches. And so all the people who live there are saying, uh-oh, what are we going to do, right? Uh, and the, house, the, the building is not only sinking straight down, but it's now leaning. So now you have a leaning tower of, you know, San Francisco. It's, they say from the roof, you could tell it's leaning, and they measured it. Seven inches, it's leaning the wrong way. You know, instead of the millennium, it's like the timber, right? I mean, it's like, oh, you know, it's going to fall. Now imagine if you live there. And so the, the news, it keeps getting updated. You know, I remember when I first read, oh, it's 15 inches. Now it's over 18 inches. And this is what the inspectors concluded, right? L listen to this. And this sounds so familiar. Uh, the, the inspectors attribute that towers tilting and sinking to the fact that the Millennium Tower was not built to bedrock while on soil known to be composed of clay and sand, blaming the extraordinary weight of the Millennium Tower and its inadequate foundation for the tower's troubles. Now, doesn't that sound so familiar? If they had built this on the rock, on the bedrock, versus soil composed of clay and sand, it wouldn't have been tilting and sinking this way. Now, this place is fantastic, right? It has a 75-foot um, lap pool in the middle of San Francisco in this high-rise. It has a wine cellar that everyone has access to, and it keeps your wine at a perfect temperature. It has all the bells and whistles that you could imagine, the best appliances and the best internet connection, and boy, the best material they could build this house. If you could live there, you are set, or at least you think you are. But now who cares? I don't want to be swimming in that pool when this thing collapses, right? I don't care if it's 100 feet long. I don't care what they have. I don't care if they have a wine cellar. I don't want to be underground trying to get that wine cellar. The thing is sinking. Like, who cares? And you think about life today, Think about our lives. We can have all the bells and whistles. We can have a house that's built, and boy, it sure looks nice, but if the foundation is sinking, it's all worthless. This is a, 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 an amazing teaching by Christ. 
You know, in, in chapter 7, he, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, he keeps laying the two side by side, right? And, and, and he keeps saying, this is the way to life and this is the way to destruction, right? So chapter 7, verse 13, for example, the narrow gate leads to life, the wide one leads to destruction. It's, it's life or death, right? In the very next part in chapter 7, 17, he talks about the healthy tree is bearing healthy fruit. And he says the diseased tree is now dying. It's worthless. It's dead. And so he keeps showing us there's two ways. There's life and there's death. There's destruction and there's salvation. He goes, this is the two ways. And he says, what are you going to do? And then in that series, he says, there's two homes. Now you think about a house. The house represents so much, doesn't it? I mean, the house represents family, memories, home. Um, when you think about building a family, you think about a home. You think about where am I going to live? You think the house represents security. It's going to keep the elements out. It's going to keep me safe. It's going to be a place my kids could grow up. It's going to be a place I can get married and settle in. It's a place that bad guys can't come into. It's now security. And in the midst of that, as a place that is secure, a place that is home, really the house here in this story represents our lives. And he says, your life, you might be working so hard on your life. What is it built on? Um, it has to be built on Christ. Now, we see here, um, I want to highlight a few parts of the story. First is that everyone is building their house, if I could say house. Or everyone is building their lives. Uh, this message is sent to everyone. He says in verse 24, you see that word, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So he's talking about everyone. Young, old, student, parent, woman, male, everyone, you're building something. Verse 26, again, he uses the word everyone. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Everyone, again. So everyone has an option, and everyone is building something. Now you think about this. Um, the ethic of our day, the thing that we look up to is, is hard work. We love hard work. We love people that talk about hard work. You know, Nike over the years, just do it. That's been the, the logo and the motto that, man, that's, that's, a, that's a value for me and I like it. You know, you watch the presidential elections and if you were able to withstand watching all three, you know, um, that's a whole nother sermon, all right? But um, <laughs> what are they both talking about? Most, uh, well, they talk about a lot of things, but one of the things they're talking about is their work ethic. And Donald Trump is talking about all that he had accomplished. I accomplished so much. I, I, I'm so successful and accuses you know, Hillary Clinton of oh, not having enough stamina. So she has to prove herself. You know, for 30 years, I did this and I did that. And I helped you know, people in Haiti and I helped catch uh, Osama Bilal and so on. And, but they're both talking about all the wonderful work that they did. And we look at that in our culture as it's a good thing. Everyone's working hard. And we like that. We like to be industrious in this way. Um, you think about just the average, let's say the average person here. You, you probably have gone through something like 20 years of schooling. And some of you are still doing some kind of something, schooling, you're getting a license, and you're getting an extra degree, or you're doing something else. And some of you now, after 20-some years, you're like, I miss studying, so you just study for fun. Um, there's a few of you maybe like that, right? Uh, but you think about it. So if they say the average student during school spends 1,000 hours during the year at school, 1,000 hours. That means if we're doing 20, 
years of school, 20,000 hours of our lives are spent and we're building our homes, we're building our lives in this way. And so the teenager is building their life. The mom and dad is building their life. The, the recent grads building their lives. And everyone is working this hard. You know, and... Um, In 1930, um, there's an article I read about John Maynard Keynes, and he had wrote a short essay called Economic Possibilities of Our Grandchildren, and he wrote this in 1930. And one of the things he predicted is that we would be so technologically advanced that our work week would just keep shrinking, you know, that we would work less and less, and maybe 15 hours, maybe 10 hours, that by now, that we wouldn't have to work so much. But he was correct about the technology and the speed of information, but he was incorrect because we work just as much. Five, six decades, we work just as much. And the article I read was concluding, it, it, some of it is we just want more things, so we gotta keep working hard. Some of us say our social connections are more at work than it is at home. We're not the people that live out in the, in the neighborhoods anymore. We don't know our neighbors, so we have to go to work. And so we like staying at work. We get our meaning from work. And some say, we're just not making enough money. Whatever it is, we're all scrambling here. We're all working hard. And that's really, it's a good thing, only if we're working on the right thing. Right? Everyone is working. And well, how will you react? The second part of this st story that we see is that everyone will face the storms of life. All of us. I used to, I remember when I, I think as a teenager and in college, when I first was really trying to follow Christ, I had this misconception that if I become a Christian, that Christians don't have much problems. Or Christians who encountered problems, there was something wrong with their faith. I used to have this false belief, and there are teachers that kind of teach that kind of stuff and put a lot of burden and guilt on people. But I used to think that. But really, Christian, non-Christian, we all face the hardships of life. And in this text, in verse 25, verse 27, the story says, hey, here's the house. It looks nice. You, you've, you built the house. You're enjoying the house. But now here comes the elements. And the elements, look at the wording. Verse 25, verse 27 are almost identical. Verse 25, and the rain fell, and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 27, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Both houses faced the same things. One withstood it, one did not. Um, you know, uh, gosh, when I took my call, uh, in my last church, a Tarang church, and this was um, about 14 years ago. I remember I, I had gotten a call to lead the English ministry, and I took the call, and we went. And I got there end of uh, August of that year. And from August to, like, January, um, there were three funerals I had to do. And so it was like, oh, man, if I knew I had to do that, you know, it, uh, man, it, it, and it was really, they were all very difficult ones. Um, I know um, Cindy and Michael were there with me, and they remember, but they were all very difficult ones. I mean, one of the funerals I had to do was, um, there was a little girl, four-year-old girl, had a horrible accident, and one of our church, there were our church families, and the mother accidentally backed up her minivan, couldn't see her. This was before backup cameras and all this, and she perished Sunday night. 
And I had to go to the ER and go see her. And I see this little, little body, lifeless body. And I remember getting physically sick, having to preside that service and prepare for that. The second one I did right after was a, a young man in his 30s. He was early 30s, about the same age as me. Um, he had a snowboarding accident, ran into a tree, um, had a, uh, went into, was in a coma, and then was pronounced brain dead, and uh, he passed away. Left behind wife and two boys who were under the age of four. And the third funeral I did was one of our older members, his father, who was uh, maybe in his 80s, and um, you know, it was a Korean-American man. He was one of the first guys to really uh, be here. He was a second-gen as an 80-some-year-old, so he spoke English, and I remember going to share the gospel with him because he didn't believe. Now, I, I did all of those. The last one, he was a non-believer, the oldest gentleman. And their whole family, other than his son who was at our church, they were all unbelievers. The first two, they were believers. Now, they were all difficult. They were all um, the worst possible things, and yet they all faced the same things. And the first two, the people and the reaction was different. Yeah, there was sadness, and yeah, it was tough, and of course there was mourning, but yet there was still talk of hope, talk of gratitude, even at the funeral. So the third one, the mourning, the crying that was there was a tone that was very different. Uh, when the other sons would come out to give a eulogy, it was just a talk of utter hopelessness. And I remember distinctly, I said, Boy, there's such a contrast here. You know, yesterday I went to a friend of mine's uh, mother's funeral who had passed away. And again, you, you go there and you, you, you think about this. You think about life. We all face the hardships, it says here. All of us will face the rain and the floods and the storms. And how are you going to stand? How are you going to make it? How are you going to have hope? And you have to have your life built on the rock. And thirdly, we see here is that um, there's two results to this, and the results are pretty spelled out here, right? Um, one is, will stand. One did not fall, verse 25. It had been founded on the rock. And then verse 27, the other one, it was a great, uh, and there was a great fall. It, it, it fell. It was demolished. It was gone. You have this opportunity to build your life. And at that point, when now the floods are coming and the rains are coming, it doesn't matter what the house looked like. It doesn't matter what kind of fixtures and appliances you had put in. It doesn't matter what kind of you know, uh, tiles you had put in or what kind of... It doesn't matter. None of that matters when the foundation is shaky. And you think about our lives today. Everything we do. All these things are very important. Raising kids are very important. What school they go to is very important. Working hard is important. Working out is important. Uh, pleasure is important. All of that is important. But if it's not grounded on Christ, it is like a house that is now built upon the sand that'll get washed away at any time. How are we going to make it? Is our economy going to save us? Is the, is the president going to save us? Is, well, what, you know, is the politics going to save us? We're like, no, as we get older, no, none of those things won't really matter. Are you going to be healthy enough to keep on lasting? Is your wealth, uh, all of that, get washed away. What we find here is that our lives have to find its foundation in Christ. So when you raise your kids to study hard, make sure the foundation of it is Christ. 
that you're more worried about the character than just the result. You're more worried about how they grow up than what they accomplish, that it, it's in Christ. If, if your marriage is, is not founded in Christ, it'll be a battle of you know, our wills going back and forth. It's founded in Christ, that the husband is laying down his life for his wife as Christ did the church, that we would understand that for his sake and we would grow in that sake. There's a story of a young gal, a 12-year-old gal named uh, Lee Rodriguez, um, and this happened in Rochester. She was coming, she was going to run a 5K for her friend's family kind of reunion, a little 5K thing, and they, were, they get there, the mom is driving her there, and they get there and they realize it's about to start, like everyone's in line about to run, and she realizes, oh man, maybe we were um, late. So the mom frantically says, you better just jump out, I'll find parking, just jump out. I don't know why there's so many people running this 5K. Throws the daughter out to go jump in, and the mom finds parking and comes back. What they found out was that the race that she had dropped her off at was the city half marathon, right? The 13 point whatever mile marathon that the real athletes were there to run. And the 5K was gonna start after that they had all had cleared out. It was like their little thing. So now this girl who was supposed to run a 5K is running and she runs. I feel bad picking on a 12 year old girl, but you know, uh, uh, she's running, right? And she's going, boy, I, I don't know what she was thinking while she was running, right? Boy, this is a long, you know, at 12, you don't know what 5K is at 12, right? I didn't know. You go, boy, this is, this is, wow, you know, this is long, right? Jeez, why am I doing this? So she ran for over two hours and finished the race. So this, it's interesting because this story wasn't like a heroic, wow, you know, uh, ESPN 30 for 30. This was some inspirational, she won the race. She, no, it was kind of, that's kind of dumb. You know, like, boy, that was just a waste. And that was the whole point of the story. Like, she ran a race she wasn't supposed to run. Her mom was running around for two hours, freaking out, thinking that she lost her daughter. She's not coming in on the finish line. And two hours later, here comes this girl. Comes making it in. And now she's a sermon illustration, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> she ran that race. <laughs> ran that race for nothing. Um, it is so easy for us to lose focus. It is so easy for us to be so much more worried about the exterior of the house than the foundation. It is so easy to worry about the things we could see with our eyes because, boy, the paint color matters and the stone that I use matters and the countertop matters. But if we don't look underneath on what is the foundation, all of that, once the storms come, will be wiped off. Useless. And I want to challenge us to take this story that Jesus tells us and ask ourselves, where am I building my house? Maybe I got to reevaluate things. I call myself a Christian, but is that just another sign I just put on top of my house? Or is the foundation of my life based on Him? Because one day, all of us will face the storms and we want to stand. And we want to say, it is because of Christ I am here. So let's live that kind of life. Let's not run a marathon that is a waste. Let's not be good at things that do not matter at the end. Let's build our lives and our homes on him who will last us through everything. Could we do that? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this story, God. And um, some of us, we don't even check at times the foundation. We just start building. 
So Lord, we want to check that foundation. We want to build it. God, our, our lives, um, for all of us here, Lord, it's a, it's a constant scramble. Work and kids or life and school and all the things that we're trying to do. We're doing a lot. We're seeking happiness, but we find it ultimately in you. So help us to do that, God. We thank you for this story. Uh, it is sobering for us. We want to build it on your words, and we want to do what you tell us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.